Today's scripture reading, uh, we have Acts uh, chapter 2 and verses 37 to 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day that they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I'm in a different church every Sunday, so, you know, I'm always adapting to what's happening. Um, I'm, as those of you who don't know me, I'm the regional executive minister of the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire. The joke amongst younger pastors, Chris, is um, uh, I'm the closest thing Baptists have to a bishop with no power, no authority, and no money. <laughs> and I oversee about 100, or work with about 150 churches, beginning down here in, believe it or not, Salisbury, Mass., all the way up to the Canadian border in Georgia Plain and Richford, Vermont. And then a couple of Sundays ago, we were over on the New York line where you could throw a stone at Ticonderoga in a little country church in Addison, Vermont. So Laurie, my wife and I, we are in a different church every Sunday. And um, we've been doing this now going on 11 years. Before that, I was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Lebanon, New Hampshire for 25 years. And about seven years of that overlapped doing uh, campus ministry at Dartmouth College. Uh, church let me be seconded for one day a week to do campus ministry. You'll laugh when I tell you this. It wasn't a Baptist ministry. I did campus ministry under the auspices of the Korean Presbyterian Church. And I had, uh, I had standing as a, a KPC mission pastor, uh, working with an old friend of mine from seminary. It's great to be with you this morning on this Sunday after Easter. But I'm jumping a little ahead into Pentecost. And I want to tell you a story, a little bit of a story to begin with, about how I got kicked out of Rotary. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here who's a member of the Rotary, but I got kicked out of Rotary. 
I was a new young pastor in Lebanon. I was about maybe at that time 28, 29 years old. And somebody said, Dale, you've got to join the Rotary. And it's kind of like church. I said, okay. So I joined the Rotary, and you know the number one thing that hit me that with Rotary was like church because they sang. They prided themselves on singing. Although they would sing stuff like R-O-T-A-R-Y, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. They all got together and they did really good things. It wasn't like church in that most frequently they raffled off a fifth of some alcoholic beverage at every meeting. They did take an offering. And what way, another way that Rotary wasn't like church was they required attendance. And if you missed a Rotary meeting and you were traveling, you would make it up at another club and get a little piece of paper signed that you did not miss your local meeting and turn it back into the local club. And if you missed too many meetings, you got kicked out. Now, I don't know of any church that really takes it to that extreme, even though you have a church covenant, right? Well, this goes on and on, and, and I got put on a service project. You had to do service project as a condition of being part of Rotary, else you get kicked out. They put me on a service project where everything happened on Sunday morning. They kept calling me. They said, you didn't show up for the service project. I said... I'm a pastor, I'm in church. And the guy who was head of the service project, kind of a, a, a prominent business person in town, said to me, well, I'm calling to kick your butt to get you to take a Sunday off from work so you can keep your obligation to the service project. And I said, but, but, man, you don't get it. This really isn't work, although I take a vacation. This is, this is kind of like my life. I mean, we got some, some struggles here and some basic core values. I mean, you're the guy scheduling the service project for Sunday mornings, and I'm the guy saying I want to be in worship, not simply because I get paid for doing it. Well, this lasted for maybe three years, and finally I got a note from the Rotary that said, you are officially no longer a member of the Lebanon Rotary Club because you have failed to keep your service project's obligation. And I said, okay, we have a clash here in core values. Good riddance. I'd rather sing in church than sing before eating mediocre food anyways. You know, I look at the church, I look at my life, I look at myself having been a Christian now for... <laughs> What's nine from 63? 54? Yeah. 54 years. I look at myself and I say, what has formed me? And what has formed the life of the church that makes this so different than going to the Rotary Club at noontimes every Thursday? What makes it so different? I submit to you that one thing that makes it so different 
is because there is a certainty and eternity and power and a dynamic that exists in no other place than when the people who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior have assembled together. Now, I have to say, you know, in this post-COVID world, as I, as I read, as I visit with church leaders, literally from here to Los Angeles and up into Canada, a lot of big waves are tossing the church around at the moment. You hear language like the great contraction or the, the great attrition or the great dropping off. And, and I have one really good friend who's, who leads a network called Fresh Expressions who says, the church has not seen the ripple effects and how this sorts out for, probably it's going to last at least three years, maybe longer. What I find interesting in the data is that the people, the demographic that's most likely to drop out of church at the moment are baby boomers. That surprise you? It's my age and older who are most likely to drop out of church in the post-COVID time. What is being found in the data is that the people who are coming into worship and seeking to regather are younger generations. Wow. Now that turns some preconceptions upside down, doesn't it? I believe the future of the Church of Jesus Christ in America is found where it has always been found. And it's going right back along that path. It's going back to the future, to steal an overused phrase, to Pentecost. I mean, I read this passage in Acts 2, and we know from what we've read previously in the beginning of the, of the book of Acts, is there has been about 120 people gathered in the house praying. Matter of fact, the scripture says all the disciples are together praying, and there's 120 of them, including Jesus' mother Mary. So on the day of Pentecost, if they're all together praying in a house, in an average house of the time, there can't be a lot of people there. Maybe it's the same 120. All of a sudden... The Holy Spirit comes as Jesus has promised and somehow through this mighty wind and tongues of flames the disciples in, the, in this group of larger disciples is in the streets and Peter is preaching. And he says these are the words of scripture that are spoken to you. Return to God. Accept Christ. Turn around, come out of this corrupt culture and world and be baptized and live in this power and presence and gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what happens? Can you imagine the disruption this would cause to a church of 120 people? It says 3,000 more were added that day. I mean... I don't know. I mean, I once was speaking in my old church in Lebanon, and I looked out in that particular morning, I accounted about 120 heads there. 
And things were running really, really well. From an organizational standpoint, things were great. We were balancing a budget. There had been some new members. Everything was kind of perking along. I looked out at 120 people, and and we were kind of feeling a little self-congratulatory because this church, the year before I came, had voted whether or not to close. And we had grown back to about 120 people. And I had to mess it up and risk getting fired again. (laughs) I said, things are going really good right now, huh? Wouldn't it really mess things up if 3,000 people joined us? What would we do? What would happen if God so blessed us that we went from 120 believers to 3,000 on one Sunday? You talk about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God turning a place upside down. What would we do with 3,000 people? I mean, I love coming to Portsmouth because in my amateur historian's mind's eye, I can look out down there to Market Square in front of that old congregational church and think about George Whitfield preaching there. George Whitfield preaching on the seacoast two days before he died down in Newburyport set off the great movement of people becoming Christians and churches being built all up and down this coast. And it reverberated all through New England. So I can be in northern Vermont and look at the history of a little country village church and discovered it was part of the Great Awakening that Whitfield was part of. Can you imagine if 3,000 people came to Christ and walked into your church of 120? I can guarantee you it would be disruptive and chaotic and crazy for a bit. But what was forming this early church? The first thing was the centrality of who Jesus Christ is. There was a clear articulation and invitation of the gospel. Timeless, confident, certain that God has come in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and died and risen and rose again so that the power of sin and evil and death itself is broken. In all who enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, are brought into a new community that's characterized by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit forming us together. And its character is so radically different from the world There is a discipline of worship and integrity and morality and generosity and grace and mercy that the disciples are committed to gathering together and they truly like each other. I've been in some churches where I'm not sure that people like each other. I mean, some of my frustration, I want to say, what are you people trying to 
what are you trying to do worship? The, why are you even trying to worship together on Sunday morning when it's obviously you don't like each other? I got a colleague who says they don't play well together. I went to a church in, in 1986 where if two of my members passed each other in the lobby of the local bank, they wouldn't speak. Laurie and I could be invited to a wedding or go to a funeral or go to a high school graduation party invited by one family and not see another person from the church there because they were simply not friends. And on such a surface level, how do you function as the body of Christ where even common-sense friendship does not exist. What forms this first Christian community within 50 or 60 days of Jesus' resurrection is the radical transformation, just not of the individual heart, but the corporate heart by the very gift of the Holy Spirit and the repentance and coming to Christ of 3,000 people. You notice how the passage we read this morning ends? They added 3,000 people on Pentecost Day, but you know how it, how it ends in that last verse we read this morning? It keeps on going. It keeps on going, and God added to that number those who would be saved. But 2,000 years, through the worst of times and best of times, God in Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the faithful preaching of the gospel, to keep in our hearts and minds the centrality of who Jesus Christ is, and to live out that faith in joy and worship and generosity and grace with each other as a radical Christian community, I would even say a countercultural community in a world of sin and selfishness and greed and all kinds of horrible evil. This church, this body of Christ, is an attractive and different place. I was touched a few weeks ago. I was on a Zoom call with American Baptist missionaries in Hungary. We have a long, long relationship with a group called Hungarian Baptist Aid. And the missionaries from the American Baptists that are working with the Hungarian Baptists are now at the place where they're opening their homes to take in Ukrainian refugees. One has accompanied the relief columns into the Ukraine. And I heard their stress and their grief and their radical hospitality. And then they told us something on that Zoom meeting that I hadn't heard anyplace else. They said, did you know the Russian Baptist Federation has voted to condemn and repent of the Russian invasion of Ukraine? and pray for the Russian Baptists because now they await the backlash. 
Wow. I'm reminded of that old hymn. In Christ alone my hope is found. In Christ alone. I will live out this gospel and proclaim this Christ and do everything that I can humanly can to honor my God, regardless of the consequences. And as an American Christian, how little that has been part of my experience. I want to share in closing a story about one of those times when God in his grace breaks in and lets you have a taste of what it was like in that first century. It also gives you a vision and an aspiration for the Holy Spirit to form us and in this age reform us as we go into the future. The First Baptist Church in Lebanon we had a Palm Sunday evening tradition. Not a lot of Baptist churches do this. You might find it a little more in the South in what is called primitive Baptist circles. Sounds primitive. It was really one of the deepest, most wonderful, Holy Spirit-filled services we had every year. We had a foot washing service. Anyone ever been to a foot washing service? Yeah. First time I said at First Baptist Lebanon, we ought to have a foot washing service, they looked at me like I was nuts. I mean, you go further north in New Hampshire, and I can say this because I'm one of them, but the more crusty Yankee-ish you get, okay? I mean, I'm not sure I want to let you in my house for a cup of coffee. What? Get down on my knees and wash your feet, man? Why would I even want to do that? I'm not exposing my feet to you. I won't even show you my kitchen table until I know you for three or four years. So we would set a whole mess of chairs up in a U. We would have candlelight, some scripture reading, some background light Christian music. And how we would do it was you would wash the feet, and I would always begin it to show. You'd wash the feet to the person on your right, go all the way around the you, and then you would serve communion to the person on your left. And the bread and cup would come back around the you in the candlelight. And as this was being formed over the years, people were encouraged as you gave communion to your brother or sister next to you, that you would speak from your heart what you felt there was something from Christ to say to them. One year, I had my nine-year-old daughter sitting beside me, and she handed me the cup and the bread and said... You're tired. You need a rest. <laughs> but this particular, I did hear that as Christ speaking to me. I want you to know that. This particular year in the candlelight, God really chose to visit us. 
There was a woman sitting in the U who was in later of life. And because of her earlier life, before she came to know Christ, she was battling a severe case of cirrhosis of the liver. And consequently, her feet had little circulation. And they were black, and they were blue, and they were yellow. And she was kind of a prickly character. She was sitting almost to the bend in the U, and I was sitting up here, and we were going around washing each other's feet. And a young student, a graduate student from Dartmouth, was sitting next to this woman. She got down to wash her feet. And I heard Bonnie gasp. I literally heard Bonnie gasp. And I heard the young graduate student gasp too with her hand to her mouth. Of course, this is in candlelight with soft Christian music in the background. And I have to admit, at this time, I've probably been a pastor there maybe 15 years, so you start getting a little paranoid about things and you start thinking the worst, like, oh no, what? You know, what? Somebody scalded her, somebody's foot or something? What happened? What happened? You know? Well, somebody turned the lights up the black, the blue, and the yellow had gone out of Bonnie's feet. And the flesh was pink and normal again. And on that night, we just sat there and best we could continued washing each other's feet and then serving communion in a total silence. And what was interesting was, including me, none of us ran out of that room and talked about it. Because we had felt that God and his holiness was so close, we did not want to risk profaning the very presence of God. like the priest in the Old Testament entering the Holy of Holies. God in the presence of the Holy Spirit has drawn so close. Woe is us if we say or do anything to diminish the breaking in of the glory of God. So over time, in this humbling event, people began to talk, quietly. And Bonnie's cirrhosis actually improved for three or four years. And then one day, she had a relapse, and I went to the hospital to see her. You want to talk about Christian community? She said, I thank you. I want to thank you for the extra three or four years. 
and I'm ready to go now. And she left that night. And I look back on that night of a foot washing service. I say, uh, this is the church of Jesus Christ at its best. Kneeling before one another and acting out. It's Christ has washed me of my sin. I wash the feet of others. And as the Holy Spirit could bust in and form the body of Christ at Pentecost, so still is the Holy Spirit breaking in and forming his church today. May the power and the presence of our resurrected Jesus Christ be with us all today and into this wonderful eternal future he's given us. Amen.